guys, welcome back to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. In each episode, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. It's a Just Checking In podcast first on this episode, as my special guest will be checking in for the fourth time. Claudia van den is a teacher, photographer and creative who has been on an absolute roller coaster across the three episodes I've done with her so far, but also so much growth and progress. Claudia lives with diagnosed autism, fibromyalgia and functional neurological disorder. The latter two, combined with an undiagnosed eating disorder and workplace stress, caused her to have a stroke in December 2022 and she was hospitalised for several weeks. We discussed this in part three, her recovery and how she planned to tackle the ED going forward. A lot has happened in a year and most of that has been positive. Claudia is now in a new job, with more responsibilities, better pay and feels much more settled in life and has less financial anxiety as a result. She's also started regularly exercising again and even gone back to the gym to continue her physical recovery from the stroke. She's also eating regularly, having two meals a day, which is very good news for me. In this episode, we discuss that continued recovery journey, an update on her FND diagnosis and her medication path for it, and her photography work as she did the photography for the Just Checking In podcast live show and will be doing the same for the next Just Checking In live on February the 24th next year. We finish by discussing the importance of putting healthy boundaries in place, how she tackled her people pleasing when she was hospitalised up to now, why cutting out problematic people in your life can be the best option sometimes for your mental health long term and personal responsibility and ownership of your mental health. So this is how part four of my conversation with Claudia van den went. Claudia, welcome back to Just Checking In Pod. Are you sure you should be here? This is the fourth time you're here. Fourth time. How are you, mate? Is it really the fourth <laughs> it time? It is. Four- should we have a round wow. of applause for the fourth time? Because you're the first guest apart from me to be on this four times now. <laughs> I feel like that needed to be in Comic Sans class. Just fourth. <laughs> like. The last time we spoke was a year ago. How quickly time flies, mate. How are you doing, first of all? How was your Christmas? Because we're in this period of Christmas and New Year. So we're not quite in New Year yet. So we're in this weird period. So Saturday doesn't feel like a Saturday. Thursday didn't feel like a Thursday. But we're somehow here. I mean, what even is the date today? It's the Sat- it's Saturday. It's is two- it Saturday? It's Friday today. It's Friday today. Is it? It's Friday today. It's actually Friday. It's Friday oh, today. There we go. I've already, <laughs> lost tra- I've already lost track. It's Friday today. I've already today. lost track. Do you, know what is? Do you know what is? I think my football team's playing today, so I assume it's a Saturday in my head, and there we go. That's what I've done. I'm already messing up. There you I'm go, there the you intro. go. There I'm already go. messing up the intro. How are you, mate? I'm okay. I, yeah? I, I, um, I'm stable. Mm. I'm stable. I think that's a good place to start. I'm okay. Stable. Well, we're going to go from there. It's a good foundation to build on. We've got a lot to talk about. You've done so much positive growth in the last year since you came out of hospital. 
you've done the photography for the Just Checking Podcast live show, which we're going to talk about in this podcast, as well as many other things. So without further delay, are you ready to start the show? Ready as I'll ever be for the fourth time. We're going to start your part four, mate, by diving back into your mental health journey. So first of all, tell me how you reflect on part three, maybe parts two and one if you want, the feedback you received to part three, and the Claudia we meet now. So if I can remember way, way back when... You know what? Let's start with the first time we met okay. as well. That was like six... That was at the Mad Millennials launch. Something like that. Six, mm. It was about six years ago. It must have been. No, it can't have was been it? six years ago, surely. It was 2018. Was that? Was it I can't do I can't do maths. I'm an art teacher. That's five... <laughs> if it was 2018, that was five years ago. Wow. Five, something okay. like that. God, time flies, mate. I really thought that was like three years ago. But because of COVID... Because of COVID, yeah. basically, COVID, we wiped COVID off. But yeah, since then, and then kind of since, yeah, like two, three years ago, since mm. kind of the first pod, I think we did the first pod, what was it, 2021? I want to say it was ju- it was online, so it was definitely during it COVID It was during period. COVID, because yeah. I was back yeah. in Sussex, yeah. yeah. I got some really, really good feedback, I think, being someone who kind of went on podcasts anyway. Mm-hmm. I kind of had quite a few lined up. I think I had... You had your own one. Yeah, just <laughs> <R>. about. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows what the future holds? Who knows what the future holds? I've received some really, really wholesome feedback, I think. Not just good, but also some things which I had to kind of work on in myself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think because I was dealing with a lot around kind of gender identity and mm-hmm. kind of accepting some of my diagnoses, mm-hmm. specifically kind of autism. I think those diagnoses for me played a massive impact in how I perceived myself and mm-hmm. how I chose to present myself. Mm. And since then, I've kind of discovered that that label actually isn't that relevant to mm. me anymore. And... You, know, you put yourself you, in a box, weren't you? I yeah. think so. Many I think boxes. So. Yeah. I think too many boxes. Mm. You, you know when you're you in a box con- factory. I think I was. I think I was. I think I spread myself out so thin in between them that I was trying to be 100% of this, 100% of that, 100% of that, 100% of that. Do you think you really, played into it with that? I think sort of so. Sort of like committing the binary sort of black and white. I have to be all in yeah, or nothing. Yeah. yeah. I think that kind of played a big role in my kind of development through kind of parts one, two and three. Mm. Have you listened to them all back in succession maybe yet? And like seeing the actual growth in your I, voice I and the issues. Yeah. I have. I was listening to them um, a few weeks ago actually. All four and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's an order of the film now. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll put a voucher code in somewhere in this <laughs> pod in case anyone does actually listen to the end. <laughs> listening to them all back I can definitely see the growth but I can also see how the challenges have kind of they've come and gone they've kind of ebbed and flowed so you know I, I mean I'm always dealing with something everyone is always mm. dealing with something and that's kind of something that's which life, I've mate, just isn't it? Yeah. yeah and that's something which I've just had to kind of accept I think I think a lot of the time we see ourselves in this position where oh if life's perfect or if everything's going right oh what's going to go wrong now and I think I'm kind of okay with that. I'm okay with that knowing that, yeah, something might happen or if something does happen, it's not the end of the world because the end of the world for me was last year, mm. I think, when I was, you know, in like a serious kind of condition. So it's given you quite a lot of perspective on life as well. Yeah, it kind of made me thankful for what I have and grateful for what I have, but mm-hmm. also allowed me to see where I can grow within that. And, you know, learn from some of the mistakes because <laughs> there's been a lot of mistakes. It's mm, been that's, a lot of mistakes. And that's also part of life, pal. But it's about how we learn from, isn't it? True. Yeah. Very true. Let's talk about a big positive first because when you're hospitalised, you want a fairly low salary. Definitely a low salary for living in London. You were struggling with that. Myself, but very much largely Toby, 
helped to financially support you to get back on your feet through the church. Now, you are in a new job with better pay, more responsibilities, albeit, so there's a little bit more stress there, but tell me how that financial stability has helped your general mental health, first of all, and how those greater responsibilities have maybe helped grow yourself too. A 45% pay rise is extremely (laughs) nice. (laughs) That will help the mental health. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I think, you know, the role I was in, it was great, but I was struggling so much with... I mean, I could barely pay to go out and mm, do things. It's not living, is it? Socialise. No. no, it's kind of pure surviving. And mm. I think that led into not eating because I feel guilty for going out and buying food and eating food because... You were trying you to know, budget and then that was playing into the ED, wasn't exa- it? Yeah. E- exactly. And I mean, if a Mackey's meal is a fiver... It's <laughs> more now. The <laughs> thing is, the thing, yeah. The thing is, of course I'm going to go for that because it's easier, it's quicker, Mm. and also it's actually cheaper than making something fresh. And I know people say, oh, you know, the cost of living, people can afford more groceries now and stuff, or... Or less groceries, probably. Less groceries, (laughs) but, like, you get more for your money if you go to the supermarket and you make it yourself. But actually, for me, it was more about what could I grab, which was easy, quick, fast, within the role which I was doing and all the kind of extra things I was doing. So I was kind of living off of those fast foods or not eating Mm. at all because I could not afford to feed myself properly the nutrients which I needed, but also feed my mental health Mm. as well because I would feel guilty for going out. I would sacrifice a meal to go out for a pint or Mm. I would sacrifice a meal to buy that thing which I wanted because in my mind, buying the thing or spending money on things which weren't food okay food is like a basic necessity need which i can get later i can get later 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 until a point where i couldn't possibly you know leave it anymore so for me i think this pay rise has been it's been like a blessing in disguise because i mean i worked super super hard for it and i think they interviewed nine or ten other people i actually think it was a few days before the pod that it was mate that, I, remember that I went for the it. interview you're like i don't um, know if i should go for it i was like no go for it go for it <laughs> i go went for it. it and yeah i got it straight away i kind of went up for a part-time and a full-time and i said look okay if i do part-time i can split and kind of do like a split job and then find something else and that could work but the difference would have been significantly more mm. and yeah they decided yeah that i'm fit for this role how did you feel I didn't quite believe it at first. I think I was one of the strongest candidates and I was in the best position because I'd already been working for the same company. They already knew me and I was practically doing the job already. So I kind of took that opportunity and in the interview, I kind of, I didn't roast the company, but I told them what was wrong Mm -hmm. and how I could actually fix it. I think that really kind of benefited me and benefited them because I was now able to come in with this fresh perspective and say, okay, I've been here. I know what's happening you don't need to teach me half of the things. Yes. You just need to show me this way of doing it and I'll be able to slot in and do my own way of doing things as well. And I also think that attitude must have been really helpful for you getting the job because it showed them that you weren't just kind of going, oh, I'm here, I'm assuming I'm going to get the job because I've been in this role, blah, blah, blah. You actually come in saying, this is what I've learned. This is what I want to learn in the future if I get it. And this is what I've identified in this job at the moment which needs improving exactly exactly i also think if you manage to go to prague for two weeks with 18 teenagers and survive in central prague (laughs) like 
you know, Central Prague and survive on a school trip. That was a sink or swim moment, truly. It was, it was. I was like, okay, if I all come back, I'm definitely getting this job. <laughs> like, if I don't bring one of them back, I'm fired on the spot. So I was making sure that they were all back. And with a promotion comes more responsibilities, as I've said. How have you gone about finding that new work-life balance, which uh, as someone with autism who doesn't always like change, but you do love routine? So the role, which I didn't know, was actually a lead tutor. So I'm not the head of the media department of college, but I'm the lead tutor. So I take on most of the responsibility in terms of lesson planning and making kind of curriculum. So I'm not just a teacher. I'm the full-time teacher teaching Mm -hmm. for 23, 24 hours a week. And then the rest is kind of planning and marking time. I've prioritised my mental health by making sure that my boss knows that I sometimes need some time to, you know, think things over or, you know, I might do things in a different way, Mm -hmm. but I'll still get the job done. Mm -hmm. It just means that I might take a little bit longer to do it or I might get it done quicker. Quicker, exactly. Um, But to kind of not be alarmed if I do things in a slightly different way. Mm -hmm. Having my own desk space is really nice as well. I think that's been a big part of my mental health. Having a space where I can be like, okay, this is my desk. This is where I can work. And kind of not having to work from home or in a place with no kind of office space. Do you prefer that sort of routine now as opposed to working from home? Well, there has been a development with that. Okay. So... Part of the way I've tried to prioritise my mental health is that my company does, it's like a flexible working policy, but I basically, I was the only teacher to, well, I am the only teacher to not get a full day off their calendar to Mm -hmm. do my planning, my marking. My days are split. So I get Monday morning and Tuesday mornings, which are lovely, but I've turned around and said, look, I would rather have a whole day where I can work from home to get all my stuff done and then come in and teach and do what I need to do. So after a bit of kind of tossing and turning, a bit of swaying back and forwards with kind of departments and some of the kind of senior management team, we've decided that until April, I'm going to be doing Mondays all day from home, just getting all my admin done, all my planning and marking, which I think is going to work in my favour so much better. Do you prefer that as a way to start the week? I think so, yeah. I mean, they did kind of honour that when I first joined the role, that I wanted the Monday morning to be my... I mean, I've only been in this role for, what, three, four months now since September, but I think they've honoured that. But they've also realised that I had to advocate for myself within yes. that. And I had to say, look, I had a stroke last year. Every other teacher gets this day somewhere in the calendar. I want that day. And I've got these reasons why X, Y, Z. This is the impact it will have on the staff, the students. This is the impact it will have on me. And this is how we can combat it. So mm-hmm. we're trialling it out for the next few months to see how that's going to work. But I think it's going to work really, really well. Mm. It also means that then I get to save some money, not having to travel. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of relieves some of the pressure of me not having to, you know, half a day of plan, then go straight into teaching. Feels more disjointed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, it has been working, but I'm actually taking control of my health and putting that first. Ownership, pal. I think, you know, it has taken a lot of kind of backwards and forwards with that. But I've got a really good mentor at work as well Mm -hmm. who's kind of pointed me in the right direction towards going for that if I wanted that. So I kind of made that decision and said, well, let's see how this goes for the next few months. And if it works, then next year, which I'm, you know, considering staying for next year, probably will stay for next year in this role and probably for the next few years, you know. I think building up that 
tolerance to the way the way the company work and the way I work and how I can kind of blend those two together without losing the part of me which knows that I'm good at what I do I'm bloody good at what I do otherwise I wouldn't have got the job and they wouldn't have felt like I was capable of getting Mm -hmm. the job I think building up that tolerance to yeah their way of doing things my way of doing things and having a couple of a hundred extra quid in my bank account is very very nice you spoke there about the stroke let's talk about it in detail now because having a stroke at age 24 is quite rare i would say very rare and and very serious how have you gone about recovering from it in the last say year and a half so i mean when i hit the quarter life crisis i was like okay i'm 25 now what am i doing with my life my whole world did collapse at the time of the stroke and i know i've kind of spoken in detail about this So, of course, kind of having a stroke or what was perceived to be a stroke, which now I know was, it was kind of like a stroke, kind of not. It was one of those weird kind of... It was a lot of things happening at once. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So I don't know if it was actually a stroke in the end, but I think it was, but with some kind of other conditions at play. It was a clusterfuck. (laughs) It was a complete clusterfuck. It was, I, I think my life kind of did fall apart at that point, and I did kind of think... You know, and I've spoken a lot about this in the pod in episode three, but I wasn't quite sure of my direction, not only like in life, but also with what I was dealing with and how I would be able to move forward with this. Because I'd kind of heard stories or I'd been kind of doing my research and people weren't living that long after this or people were, you know, not being able to have the same quality of life as they had before. Mm. There wasn't many stories of people having a better quality of life. Or if there was, it would be due to spending thousands and thousands of pounds getting private treatment, which, you know, on my salary at the time was not possible. Mm. And even now, you know, teacher's wage in London is not not great. But it's something. It's more than what I was on. So I'm kind of thankful for that. I think I'm stable in terms of a stroke. Mm-hmm. But my mental health has definitely taken an impact. I often now see things in I almost have like these little flashbacks you know to the moments when I was in but also if my body does feel weak at some point I'm thinking okay is this another one is this another one because one of the kind of side effects or kind of after the aftermath yeah yeah it is that you might get them again in the future so I think in the back of my head I'm always thinking oh no I'm now at a much higher risk of getting this again due to, you know, X, Y, Z, due to the events which are kind of leading up to it. So I'm trying to almost reverse the damage which has been done. Mm-hmm. I can't reverse it all. You know, I've still got some kind of... Residual, maybe, effects. Yeah, and I've kind of got some new diagnoses as a result. I've got mm-hmm. this functional neurological disorder now, which I spoke about in part three, which I'm kind of accepting as kind of part of my life now. It's, again, it's a very, very misunderstood condition. It's something which I don't really know how to deal with if i'm being honest because there's not a lot of help out there Mm. um apart from paying therapy which i'm not opposed to but i don't feel like i'm in the place right now where i can fully commit to that i think the road to recovery is long man Mm. and i think i'm never going to be fully recovered from the stroke and from the things which happened, you know, like all the trauma which went alongside it, trauma within hospital as well, Mm -hmm. which I know we kind of spoke about off air. I think 
having a stroke at so young has really made me question what the point of life actually is. In a good way, hopefully. Definitely in a good way. I also think in a slightly negative way as well, because I think I was wasting so much time doing things which weren't fueling me. Right. That now I'm like, okay, I need to actually have these life experiences have all the experiences which I can because life is very short mm. and if something was to happen again I don't know whether or not my body would be able to take as much as mm. it has and you know doctors have said that to me that it could get worse and a lot of my conditions right now are degenerative is that yeah, the right word yeah. yeah degenerative conditions so they get worse there's not really any getting better. There's only managing it. So I think I'm putting a lot of my time and my energy now into managing it rather than trying to get rid of it. Right. And how are you safeguarding against that? So for example, you're getting back in the gym, you do more exercise. How has that helped and what other things are you doing? So I think the physical health is a massive, massive part of it. I did recently just get through a referral for another kind of condition for my fibro after six years of waiting. But guess what it was? What was it? Six weeks, 15 minutes of physio in a community group. Okay. Uh, I'm presuming that wasn't what you wanted. No, not at all. So (laughs) I have turned that down because I'm doing it myself in the gym. I'm taking ownership of what I want to do and that I know is best for my body. I'm also then researching and talking to a few of my friends who work as kind of physios or work with... I was with, about to ask that for you spoken to people like who are physio, physios or personal trainers or something who can maybe yeah. help in a tailored way. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So I've been really kind of focusing on what's right for my body and not pushing myself too hard, but also pushing myself enough so that I feel good after it as well. You know, I mean, it's meant to be hard work. Mm. You know, going to the gym isn't meant to be easy. And I think for me, looking at a year ago when I couldn't move, I mean, you saw me, I couldn't move. I was You were using a walking stick, pal. I was using a stick. That's gone now. I've been that last week. So glad I managed to bin it. I, yeah, I, I was, I was in such a mess, I think, like mentally and physically, that now I think with my kind of financial gains as well, and that's kind of supported me to okay i can now afford a gym membership i can actually afford to buy clothes which make me feel good and not just you know cheap whatever i can buy food which will fuel me not be awful for me Mm. i mean yes at times but you know yeah in moderation it's it's, it's a balance it's (laughs) a balance i think the way in which i've dealt with it now i think i've become a lot stronger because i've lent on a lot of people Mm -hmm. and of course you know that takes a toll on people as well but i think in the end of it, you know who the right people are and the right people will come to you as well and actually offer, which I think I've always kind of turned people down. Like, oh no, I could do this for myself. I could do this myself. <laughs> when you can't move and you can barely like hold a phone or barely like pick up a glass of water and you're stuck in bed, you have to rely on other people for help. And now I'm actually then able to give back to other people as well. Mm, has that you know, nice almost for you? It yeah. has, you know, I think I'm a giver a lot more than a receiver. And I think that's probably my teacher kind of side for me. And it's almost like an internal extrovert. So I love receiving rather than giving. No, no. You the other way around. Rather than the other receiving. way around, yeah, yeah. yeah. But then in return, I kind of reciprocate the feelings. So I get the same feeling back as what the mm. person gets when they kind of 
receive. And when it comes to the aftermath of the stroke, so, so my dad had a stroke nine years ago, and mm. one of the things that changed him when it comes to his recovery is he's very emotionally open now, you know, completely different to prior to it. Has anything changed in your mind in that sort of way? I'm going to say I'm a lot more closed off. You're a lot more closed off now? I'm a lot more closed off. I think I've become a little more introverted. Okay. In having my own time to myself. I wouldn't say that's closed off though, pal. Mm. I think maybe you're more, again, coming back to what you just said, introvert is not necessarily a bad thing. Mm. Maybe you just appreciate your own space more. I've worked hard to make my space my space Mm -hmm. and that can be kind of my mental space, it can be my physical space, can just kind of be space to be and Mm -hmm. to have those emotions. Creating those healthy boundaries as well. Yeah, I think so. I think part of my job as well kind of means that I can't have too much of an opinion and I I kind of have to, I have to safeguard my emotions within the classroom. Of course, because you're a Um, teacher, that's your job. yeah. Yeah, and I think I'm kind of still getting used to that. I'm still getting used to how I can still by myself at work and bring my kind of skills, my knowledge, mm-hmm. my expertise mm-hmm. and my personality, mm-hmm. but be there for the kids instead yes. of making this yeah. the Claudia show. Cause yes. it's not, it's, it's my classroom. Yes. It's my classes, but it's about the learners getting what they need. And I need to be in a, an okay position in order to support them. And if I'm not in that okay position, then get rid of me. I have to accept that, you know, everyone is, is replaceable within the workplace and I think for me, I've tried to kind of carry that into my personal life mm-hmm. as well with the, okay, these feelings are replaceable. I can replace these feelings if I need to, but also I'm going to hang on to the ones which I know I need for my own sanity. Mm-hmm. Feelings like guilt, fear, shame, that all happens. That all happens. And I'm still dealing with that. I feel very guilty about having a stroke and all the kind of things which led up to it. But there's definitely a place for that. It's just not letting that overrun mm. and kind of invades too much of my kind of space. Mm. It's there, but it's not a priority anymore. Yeah. I'm kind of trying to replace that with gratitude. Yeah. You know, for what I have and the people who are kind of around me and really kind of build that sense of community with people and just have as many experiences as I can. I think as an autistic person, I love, it's kind of quite counter counterintuitive I guess or kind of quite anti anti autism if that's kind of a word I love to be overwhelmed so like I really love okay, so right. I love so I love going to really busy places and just sitting there you mean you, of, you mean you love to be like centrally watching. overwhelmed maybe yeah yeah right yeah, not just yeah. overwhelmed generally I'll be um, having a chat with you after this <laughs> if that was the case I think I just love like people watching and I love kind of finding little connections that also kind of fuels my creativity as well. Mm. You know, being able to kind of just appreciate people being people and not having to go up to that person and talk to them or not having to advocate on their behalf because, you know, like I'm doing that now, but in the classroom, in Mm. an environment which I feel like I found my expertise in instead of it being the Claudia show because it isn't, it's, it's just life. I think definitely the stroke of my recovery has humbled me. And I think it's humbled me to a point where I'm now able to accept that I can't change the world. Mm-hmm. I can only affect my small... In your area of control. Exactly, yeah. yeah, exactly. I can only affect what I can affect and yeah. what I can, you know... What you can control. Influence. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's talk about 
one of the main factors behind the stroke, mate, which was your eating disorder, which was, it's fair to say, in control of you at that point. Obviously, I didn't know about it and mm-hmm. you were suppressing it. I'm not sure if you, may, you were maybe even fully self-aware of it. How have you gone about starting that recovery from it in the last year and putting in healthy tools or daily things that will help manage it better? So I think for me, it's still it's still being undiagnosed. No one's kind of spoken about it to me since I got out of hospital. I was put on some kind of nutrition shakes, which I did take for a while. But then I completely stopped because I felt like I was relying on them and then skipping out my meals when mm. really I should be fueling up on the meals yeah. instead of the just these little kind of milkshakes. Mm. Also because those little milkshakes were a bit disgusting. <laughs> I think it's one of those things which it does come and go. And mm-hmm. I think it's not just about the food element of it. It's about all the emotions which come with it. And what lays behind the purging or the, the yeah. avoiding food. It's safe to say I haven't relapsed back into it in quite a few months. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to be proud of that. But also I know that okay, this is a journey, this is a process. If it happens, it happens. I'm not going to beat myself up for it because things do happen. And, and you know I, how to get past it as well. Yeah, I think I think having more money now definitely helps mm-hmm. because I'm actually able to have really nice food when I go out and or, you know, just buy buy food at home mm. and have food, have food at home, you it's, know. It's now become a not a question, but a foundation. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it's like okay, I know that I want this, so I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to worry about... The budget, yeah. The budget, I'm going to eat this. If I want that sandwich, I'm going to get that sandwich. Or if I want that piece of steak, I'm going to buy that piece of steak. Not all the time, guys. Steak is expensive. (laughs) But I'm able to realise that... See, some people see food as like a comfort. I see it more as it's sustenance. It's something to keep you going. But it can be tasty as well. And you can actually have a good relationship with food. Some of the medication which I was on, which I'm not on anymore, I came off it a few months ago because I didn't feel any effect of it and I feel like I'm now able to take control and I'm sleeping a lot better. The medication was for sleep. I was actually waking up and that was making me hungrier Mm. with this medication. So I was almost forcing myself to eat after I'd been waking up in the middle of the night because, you know, the meds were kind of kicking in, but they'd make me hungry so then they wouldn't work. And they wouldn't, isn't it? they wouldn't help me sleep. Mm. So they'd wake me up. And then I'd be so drowsy in the morning that then I'd be like, oh, you know, groggy and stuff. And then having to teach for eight hours mm. is like... <laughs> That's counterintuitive. No. <laughs> it is, it is. And then, you know, when all your kids come in from the corner shop with sweets and stuff and you just think, oh... I want give a bit what, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do give it to me. They do. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not, not saying bribe your kids with sweets, but it does help. It does help. <laughs> I think for me, it's being able to then say, okay, I've then also now got set meal time as well where I have to eat lunch at work. And I know that, you know, sometimes at work I get the lunch, which is kind of provided, which also, again, saves me a bit of money, but also then allows me to be like, okay, I know that I'm going to have a solid meal at lunch because I need this. And then I know that I've eaten at least one solid meal a day. My goal is always two meals, even three, but... I am definitely... Two's always a good benchmark, yeah. Yeah. Three's a bonus for you, two's the benchmark, yeah. I think knowing that I've got a set time, which again is possibly part of a routine as well, that helps to fuel me not only physically and able to do my job, but mentally as well. 
because I know that, okay, that is my time to not answer any emails, not work. This is my time to eat and actually enjoy what I'm eating, even if school dinners suck sometimes. (laughs) I'm also discovering a love of cooking again, which Mm. is something which, I mean, I went to catering college at 14, 15 for like two years. One of them kids who drops out of school and just has to do something. So catering college it is. And I found myself just really, really enjoying it and being able to say, if that 14, 15 year old knew what she knew now, she might have not gone down the same paths and had mm. the same experiences, but she also might have been able to deal with it in a lot more kind of productive and healthy ways. Have you tapped into your creativity by this new reignited love of cooking? I'm still kind of working on that. I think my creativity is definitely not in the kitchen. Yet. <laughs> Heston Blumenthal where are you but I think I'm now able to have meals with people and actually enjoy and be present yeah, yeah I think so one of the big things that happened just a few days ago was that do you remember I told you that I had a severe anxiety around fish mm-hmm. and seafood what did I do on you had fish and chips no I had oh. fish for the first time in, in like 16 17 years what kind of fish was it it was like a Filipino milk fish Oh, of course it was. I was yeah. meant to say like haddock or cod <laughs> or skate, but it had to be exotic, didn't it? It did have to. But I I just remember being in hospital and that was my exposure therapy was the fish and seafood. And I didn't even think about it. I did not even think about it. And I'm awfully proud of that, that, you know, I'm not shying away from trying new foods. Going out of your comfort zone. You know, even though it tasted a bit, again, I don't know what it was meant to taste like, so I don't have mm. anything to kind of compare it to. I tried it. Now, the teenager me would have just ran in the other direction like completely and probably gone and done something a bit silly which wouldn't have been beneficial to my mental health because of the kind of fear and anxiety of not knowing what it would do to my body but also the smells the kind of sensations I think it's pushing myself out of my comfort zone and accepting that yes I have this eating disorder it doesn't define me it doesn't control me but I can I think I can assure myself that it is still very much there, you know, and I'm and not saying... And hopefully one day, that... pal, you may overcome it. Do you know what I mean? Let's, let's yeah. keep a positive outlook. You may yeah. not, but let's keep the option open. I think that's definitely a good thing to do, keeping it open. Because I've spoken to many guests yeah. who have managed it. Some guests have overcome it. Some mm. guests maybe still struggle with it and it's always there. But mm. I liked it on the podcast, kind of give a positive outlook yeah. for people because you know you've done so much work you've obviously listened to maybe a few guests who've had EDs mm. themselves and it's really important that these things can if the right steps are in place they can be possibly overcome yeah you know what I mean yeah yeah when it comes to the chat that we had off air mate the word that kept coming up was accountability mm. so how has this played into what we've just discussed so I remember just being in hospital and you saying, I'm not leaving until you eat that food. (laughs) And you know what? It was the tough love with the accountability, which I think something shifted in my brain. And it said, people care about me and I need to care about myself. Mm. You know, I need to give a shit about myself, basically. Mm. In lack of better terms, I need to give a shit about myself and actually be accountable for when things do go right, but also be accountable for when I maybe have you know messed up or that I do need some help or some advice you mm-hmm. know I'm a lot better at now taking advice yeah rather than just give 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 again I can't teach unless I 
You can't you know, always be Claudia teacher, like, do you know what I mean? No, yeah. No. I have to be in a place where I feel stable enough to take advice as well. I think my foundation is a lot more firm now mm-hmm. where it's being accountable for the firmness and actually having a solid base. And also it's being accountable when I ask for advice to actually say, okay, I don't need to take every bit of advice everyone is giving me, but I have to listen to it because, you know, people are obviously, you know, giving up their time to give me some advice. Let's listen to it and let's take... Take the good bits and you can maybe discard the bad bits. Yeah. Because some people give well-meaning advice, but it's platitudes. Yeah. So you kind of go, thank you for the advice. That's probably not what I'll take, but I'll yeah. go to someone else for some good advice. Yeah. I think also the connections and the community which I'm kind of building up as well has been really, really beneficial with that. Tell me more about that. How has your faith community helped you in the last so, year and a half? I think for me, it kind of started when I got baptised. That was, I don't know when that was. It was June? Was that June? Mm-hmm. I think it was June. And I think actually making that decision has now kind of, I think I was kind of a bit wishy-washy. Like, a few years ago, I was like, oh, should I do this, then do that, then do that, then do that. And I was Again, over... Again, you're trying to do the 100% in it, it, everything. Exactly, yeah. and I was overwhelming myself in that way. Whereas now I'm like, okay, I'm kind of 100% for God, but I'm also 100% for myself as well. And they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like my community and the people who I choose to be around have become my family. Mm. And that has been so important in my, not only kind of recovery, but life in general. Mm-hmm. I think you choose your family as well. Mm. Like you can, you, you can definitely choose that and you can choose who you spend time with and who fuels you in the right ways. And then actually being able to say, well, I've got the faith that this will turn out mm. in the way which, I want it to turn out and that I deserve it to turn out. And how positive has it been to get that back to you? Because you've previously been in environments where you've given a lot and nothing's been given back to you. Mm. When that has been given back to you, whether that was in hospital with what me Mm. and Toby helped you do or Mm. whether that's, you know, I'm not sure how to call it charity work, but the work you do in the church to help Mm. people, whether that's homeless shelters or wherever Mm. else, and people give you that back and say, thank you, Claudia, you know, you're a really big part of this community. How important has that been for you? That's filled a hole. It's definitely filled a hole and it's filled that like void which Mm. I had because I think I was missing that community element where I've always been an outsider all my life. I've always been, you know, that black sheep of the family in many different ways, but also kind of the black sheep in every kind of environment which I've been in. You felt you've been that. Yeah, Yeah. I, I mean, I... I felt I'd been that, but also I've seen it in the past few months especially that I've kind of not been accepted for who I am and who Mm. I want to be. Whereas I don't need to try and be anything I'm not around these people. To me, that's a true meaning kind of family and Mm. community in general, you know. And I mean, because everyone is so diverse Mm. as well, not only in kind of thinking, but kind of careers and kind of nationalities. Or, or, you know, I love diversity. Yeah, true true diversity that would be. Yeah. You know, diversity of thought, diversity Mm. of ethnicity, Mm. diversity of class. Yeah. For me, those are the three big ones. I think being able to accept that and be like, okay, these people aren't trying to be anything they're not. They're being their authentic selves. That almost allows me to be my authentic Mm. self because... No one's judging me for that. No, no one's judging me for having certain conditions. No one's judging me for being my authentic self. 
and having those feelings and actually and, and faith unites you all yeah. I think so I yeah. think so I also think I've discovered a lot of my creativity within that and also a lot of accountability I think as well accountability for not only my feelings but how my feelings are perceived by others. Does it make you almost more accountable in yourself because you think if I'm not in the best place, I can't be a person in this community to support others, but also, Mm. you know, do the charity work or if someone comes to me, then I can't be there for them. Does that make you more accountable as well? I think you've hit the nail on the head. Yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's, um, it's accountable for my feelings, but also being able to step in when I need to help other people and Mm. say, look, I can empathise. Because I've been there. Mm. Yeah. And I think, for me, that is that is one of the experiences which I will always kind of remember and take away with me. You know, it's, it's also fun, you know, mm. and it's actually allowing myself to have fun instead of, you know, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work. Gives you a release. Yeah, in the way which I kind of never thought possible because me being me I never thought that I deserved to have fun or deserve to enjoy myself this was life this was my life always going to be my life so you lump it you stick with it and then the slow decline happens whereas now that I'm stable I'm able to have these little kind of ridges of fun and these ridges of positivity which I mean if you're going to mountains (laughs) yeah I mean the thing is like if you look at heartbeat it has ups and downs right like when you see it but it always kind of has a stable base. Yes. That for me is kind of a big foundation, being accountable for my feelings, but also being able to, yeah, support others with theirs. Mm. Let's talk about another creative passion you've gotten back into, which is photography. So how has that felt to start doing this again? And tell me about the uh, experience at the Just Checking Podcast live show, which you very kindly stepped in to do (laughs) at the last minute. You know what? That was fun with my 15-year-old camera. Hey, it did (laughs) the job. (laughs) It did the job. You'll be very pleased to know that I have got a brand new camera, which will make me very, very happy and make you very, very happy when you get some good quality photos, (laughs) (laughs) which, again, I hadn't been able to afford. You know, like I'd saved up hard for over the past, you know, few months. I also bought a Brompton bike as well, but one of those posh Londoners now <laughs> can say that we own the Brompton. People think you're at the BBC now, mate. <laughs> I am there in two weeks' time, so. Oh, amazing. I am, yeah. We're taking our kids for a little tour. Oh, brilliant, um, pal. That'd be fun. <laughs> I love my job as a media teacher. I get to work with cameras all day long, literally. Usually it involves me cleaning out the cupboards for like four hours and then a kid dropping something, but, you know, that's 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 life. I think... Because I'm able to now use it in my career and on a daily basis, I'm able to use my creativity and actually show kind of a young generation what you can do mm-hmm. with, you know, a lot of time with low technology. So like iPhone photography, you know, DSLR photography, mirrorless photography, but also more kind of filmmaking and videography as well. Definitely having a nice new camera helps because, you know, I'm able to take some better quality shots and actually able to now use the functions properly. I think when I moved up to London, I had to sell all my camera stuff to afford to move up to London and mm. to stay in a hostel, which was kind of when I moved up to London a few years ago. I had to sell all my media stuff. And I think having to sell that part of you, mm. that creative kind of source and those kind of creative juices. You're losing if part they of your identity, dry, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It is. And I think my autistic self 
within that, you know, being able to kind of show myself visually and express myself creatively through kind of visual arts, that part of me at the time was okay for my autism because I was able to, you know, take some quite wacky shots through uni, through, you know, doing some pieces all around the world, you know, my work was kind of exhibited. Now I'm able to use it for things which help other people, which then in turn helps me. So it's almost reciprocating the creativity. It's nice to have it as a little bit of side hustle as well, Mm. which again shows that, okay, I'm actually good at what I do and I'm good enough to get paid for it. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much creativity out there. It's about finding what creative passion is yours. And for me, kind of photography and being able to support events like the event which you had, you know, it was great. It, it was such a cool venue as well, I think. I love turning up to places and seeing what's kind of happening. You'll love the Victoria, pal. I'm excited. I'm You'll excited. Love the I've already done it. It's a like pub a, that has a bookcase in the back that opens up into the gig. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Lovely. A very Lovely. Venue, yeah. I'm going to have to get my gimbal out for that one. <laughs> <laughs> you also did the photography for Close Friend of the Pod, Toby's recent yes. gig. How was that? And how did it differ from some of the other photography gigs you've had to do? I think, again, that was a kind of after work quick go grab my stuff and kind of do quite last minute but that was enjoyable as well I think there's something so nice about kind of music and gigs and stuff which I know is like your your thing your thing yeah there's um, anything that's I'm known for is gigs and podcasts looking at your yeah. CD collection got like I don't even know how many you've got there probably about 500 probably 100. more than that now pal because there's another there's another shelf I've got there that's building up as well Ooh, yeah yeah geez. I think being able to be at an event where everyone is there for the same reason is so important and everyone is there as friends i think is so important yeah. and everyone's there for that level of community that this one thing unites people and being able to capture that in a visual way for me is something really special because yes it's not the same as experiencing it there but it gives people a nice memory to take away mm. that they can look back at a photo and be like actually this was a time when I was authentic. This is a time when I was supporting someone visually by kind of taking their photos, but also being able to have fun with it as well and mm. not being, you know, yes, I'm not a professional, professional photographer, but I'm good enough. Being able to accept that, that people actually want me to take photos is quite a joy and quite an honour. Mm. I think being trusted with that responsibility feeling like I have a purpose is lovely and I think being able to show my students that is also really lovely it's quite refreshing Mm. being able to show them ah look at what you can do look at all the different opportunities there are this is something which I find enjoyable why don't you give it a go and see if you find it enjoyable as well how's that been becoming a role model it's been something which I would have loved when I was younger Mm. I would have loved someone to actually show me show me their work show me what they're proud of show me their connections show, show me what's their... possible yeah exactly and i mean i think of course within teaching you've kind of got a level of safeguarding you know how much do you reveal about yourself sure. but i say to them i've had some of these mental health difficulties in the past i've overcome them by xyz you know don't go into a lot of detail sure. but i let but i let them know that i am neurodiverse mm-hmm. i let them know that you did the bbc piece about it Yes, I did. That was very, very fun. Very, very fun. I let them know that I have got a lot to share with them. And one of them then turned around to me. And I think I kind of brushed it off at the time, but I've been thinking about it past few days. 
one of my students turned around to me and said, Claudia, I want to become a teacher like you. And I'm like, wow, you know? And when I was a, I had my first parents evening a few weeks ago. And it's always one of them things which is a bit like, oh, okay, what do you do exactly? Because different mm. learners, different students. I've got like 50 kids who I manage. I got an opportunity to sit down with some parents and to actually explain to them what I do and what my practice is and how I am helping their children. And then one of the parents said, thank you so much for showing this learner another path. Thank you so much for showing my son that they can do all these things with your support. How powerful was that? It it kind of brought me to... It didn't bring me to tears, but this is why I do what I do. You know, it's... It's so nice to be able to share a piece of yourself with people. I'm just waiting to see in five, ten years' time what these kids get up to. You know, it's part of the joy, isn't it? I mm. think so. It is a hard job. It is a bloody hard job. What I do, all the planning and marking. I pretty much had to write my own courses. I'm not mm. just going in there and teaching. I've written courses within kind of a creative arts, art design, and media, and media in general, and being able to write something which I know that I can teach and I can teach to a good quality level that other people can find joy in, that's a blessing. Mm. Because when you're able to share a piece of yourself with others, it inspires you to support them. Mm. You said something very powerful to me off air. You said, I don't have to ask someone else's permission to be myself anymore. Unpack that for me. I have worked immensely hard to appreciate what others have given me in the past. And I still do. But some of the things which I've been given in the past have been very unhealthy. And I'm only realising that now. I'm not going to go into detail about a lot of it. Mm -hmm. But I think you can choose your family. And your family can also choose you. It works both ways. Mm -hmm. And I've chosen to cut ties with some people as a result of some of the behaviours which they've shown me, which I've not been reciprocated back, or I've been reciprocated back in quite negative ways. Mm -hmm. This doesn't mean it's completely cut off. It means, you know, still kind of regular check-ins, but on a level which I want to control. And You put those boundaries in place. I think so. And it's something which I have kind of gone back on quite a lot. I think, especially over the Christmas period where, well, meant to be in kind of inverted commas, family time. I didn't spend Christmas with my family this year. I Mm. spent it with a friend because that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, there might be some talks about it, but I turned around and said, look, I'm choosing to do what I want to do now. I'm not living with you guys anymore. I want to do this. This is my London family now and I've chosen that and I'm quite content with that and they don't make me do things which I'm uncomfortable with. They also don't call me an embarrassment and a failure. They also support me in being accountable when I need it and that is a kind of family which I like. Mm. Someone who can challenge but also love and show you the affection but in a way which helps you to grow not in a kind of detrimental way, which I think I've only just realised in the past few months. You're 25, pal. So Mm -hmm. this is an age where you tend to do find these things. And it's an important time. I think 25 is an age where 
you start to sort your life out a little bit more and mm. you start to realize a lot of things. Your prefrontal cortex is fully developed. So yeah, I think you're in a really good place to start this next stage of your journey. Mm. And five years ago, it's fair to say you had to deal with most of these issues on your own. You didn't have a choice really. And now you do have a choice mm. to deal with these issues on your own or lean on someone else for support. It is on your terms. How empowering is that for you? I think knowing that I can control who I lay in and how much I filter to them has been immensely important and is immensely important in my own life, recovery, relapse, all those things. Not everyone needs to know everything. Sometimes oversharing is not good. Do you know what mm, I mean? And sometimes that can trigger other people. You have and to learn that. So you have to learn what you share because sometimes yeah. people go, well, how, is, how are things going on? I think, well, if I tell them 100%, it's just going to yeah. create something that I don't really want to do. So I'm just going to give them a yeah. little bit yeah. and then move on. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a little bit like with kind of advice giving as well. Yes. You know, it's yeah. being able to say, okay, cool, I'm taking this on, but I'm going to leave this bit aside. Yes. You know, if everyone wore their heart on their chest all the time, we'd be... <laughs> well, we'd all I would be a nation of autists. <laughs> literally, literally. I think it's okay to shield yourself sometimes and it's okay to advocate if you know that something is wrong. Mm. And for me, having that level of choice is something which, yes, you know, I know that sometimes some of the choices which I make might be bad, but hey, that's life. You know, we all make silly decisions sometimes, but it's about being able to say, okay, well, how can I learn from this so that in the future... I don't do this part again or this part again. Not the whole experience again, but kind of selective parts. Because usually when we do things which are wrong or bad, it's not the whole thing we do which is bad. The intention is usually good, but sometimes things can happen which cause our paths to be a little bit kind of mismatched Mm. and can often lead to kind of more negative repercussions. Many, many years down the line. It's not just in the immediate. I think that, for me has been one of the main takeaways of of this year is that I can now control what parts of me I share Mm. and a bit like with a pod I won't reveal everything Mm -hmm. but I also will reveal enough so that I feel like I've got out what I need to get out and that I've vented Mm -hmm. but the thing about vents is they work both ways they've got (laughs) got slats in them to check you know (laughs) to filter what needs to be said Mm. I did have to do it all on my own And now I'm learning that you don't have to do everything by yourself, but some things only you can do. Yes. And it's okay to have those moments when you just need to be like, look, I just need some time to myself to work through these things. It's also okay to push some things down and sort things out at another time. You don't have to sort everything out in one go. And for me, you know, I might get back into therapy. You know, I've been through so much this year you know new job you know like work trips faith journey stroke (laughs) like eating disorder mental health all sorts that i can only work on one thing at a time and for me right now my physical and my mental health and things which i'm working on in terms of getting that to a level which is comfortably stable not just stable Mm. i want to reflect now because one of the main reasons I love interviewing you, pal, and I said this to Toby as well when we were kind of chatting about the run-up to this, is that your growth and your progress as a person are almost like a living affirmation for me. And then, and you know, for, maybe from a selfish reason, but when I see you grow, it's like a constant reminder for me to keep this going. 
in days where I might not feel like I'm getting anywhere or days where I feel like, you know, the listener numbers aren't great. All those little things that come into your head or something else entirely. Have you taken the time to maybe reflect from part one to part four now and give yourself a bit of credit? I give you credit. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't the objective of the question, but I'll take it. I give you credit for carrying on with it. And that fuels me in turn. I think, you know, like I was listening back to all the pods a few weeks ago, as I said earlier, but I think I need to have a listen back after this one comes out um, in succession again. Four hours of myself talking. Wow. Who would want to listen to that? Who would want to listen to that? You know, I think all the connections which we've made, you know, like Toby, for example, and, you know, like from the very first episode which kind of happened, I think I've definitely become a lot more comfortable with speaking about some of the issues but also speaking about them as an adult, you know, being 26, I know that I can deal with these things now a lot better than what I could have, you know, even at 22, 23. And as a final question, Claudia, to wrap things up, what has this continued mental health journey taught you about yourself? It's taught me a lot about resilience and how in my mind, I can be resilient to all the kind of challenges which are out there, but also resilient against some of the positives, which for other people might be quite kind of controversial. But for me, it's like, I don't have to enjoy everything. I can work out what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy. And it's okay to not always enjoy everything. And it's kind of about working out what I really like and what my loves are and being able to be firm and rooted in that. Again, like not having to be 100% this or 100% that, but being able to be just authentic to what I want to do. You know, like I don't need to, for example, I don't need to be at the gym and be lifting 200 pounds. I can go to the gym and lift... That's not an enjoyable um, experience either, by the way. (laughs) But like I can go to the gym and lift 50 pounds. I do what's right for me. And I think being being able to do what's right for me is so important. And being able to have the the authenticity but also the kind of authority to take charge of my own health and lean on other people has been so so important I don't know what the next step looks like for me I think a lot of it will be focused around not going into remission for a few kind of things not going back on a lot of the things which I've worked desperately yeah, hard on not in relapsing the if past you can. year yeah. but also knowing that life is short and I don't know what is going to happen you know no one knows really mm. for me working in terms of my career boosting that up and just getting to a stage where I feel comfortable I think is one of the things which I really have progressed to and will continue to progress life is not a one-way street there's always things which we can do differently and I think I'm learning that but as I grow I'm able to see that there is definitely a better way than what I went through Mm. and I'm really excited to see what the next journey will be and what the next kind of stages in the next year, the next year and a half, the next two years, hopefully taking many more pictures as well. Um, Yeah. And what a great note to end on. Claudia Powell, it is always an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming back on the Just Checking In podcast for the fourth time and talking to me, pal. 
Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of the Just Checking In Pod. A big thank you to Claudia for being my special guest and for letting me check back in with her for the fourth time. I'll sign us off by saying thank you to all the vendors who've tuned into this episode. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you like what we're doing, event and want to support us further, please do consider going to our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or go to our link tree. That's linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. Thank you.